Chapter twenty three of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three Playing Mother. Philura Pettibone walked slowly between shorn meadows where red clover was beginning to bloom as in early summer. She carried a basket on her arm filled with fresh eggs, the basket and the eggs furnishing a legitimate excuse for thus walking idly along the country road where there had been no dust these many days. Heavy rains had washed the landscape clean and it now presented a shining morning face to the sky where capricious winds drove the clouds in opposite directions. In the rare upper air, small round white fleeces, like a flock of lambs, moved slowly westward, while beneath them detached masses of denser vapour sailed majestically out to sea, their shadows flitting over meadow and hill like the drag ropes of gigantic balloons. Mrs. Pettibone's face, under the brim of her shady hat, shone like the newly washed earth. She was as happy as a woman may be who feels herself beloved. And this, be it said, she needs must know afresh, today as well as yesterday, and likewise tomorrow, till winter comes, and with it night. But winter and night seemed very far away on this day when summer forgot that it was August. The woman, whose hair was already a little grey, sang under her breath as she walked along, a little chirping song about a robin in a tree. Then all at once she saw the children. There were ten of them, perhaps, or even fifteen. They were so small and merry in their pink and blue frocks, and they ran about so fast, she found them hard to count as butterflies about a puddle. The largest child, a girl, spied the woman looking at them across the fence, her face rosy and wistful under the shady hat. "'We can play in this meadow now,' the girl said confidentially. "'The hay is being cut, and there are no cows here.' And today there's no school, cause our teacher's gone to a funeral. The girl's face shone with pure joy. She gazed at Mrs. Pettibone, her eyes sparkling under wind-blown hair. That's very nice, the minister's wife assented, understandingly. It was her grandmother, piped another child as she danced up to the fence. She was old, but now she's gone to heaven and we can play all day. I'm glad, aren't you? Mrs. Pettibone nodded, her eyes very blue and bright, her cheeks pink with sudden longing. "'If I might come in for a little while?' she murmured. The biggest girl regarded her doubtfully. "'You're grown up,' she objected. "'But I can play.' The girl glanced over her shoulder at the pink and blue frocks tumbling over one another in the grass. "'Can you play mother?' she asked. Mrs. Pettibone blushed up to the margin of her silvered curls. Oh, yes, she said eagerly, if you'll let me. You'll have to climb over. We climbed over. We were going home, and our teacher said we must go home. But it's a pleasant day, and our mothers don't expect us for a long time yet, and the hay is all cut. Mrs. Pettibone climbed over. It wasn't a difficult feat, but first she pushed her basket through the rails. What's in your basket? Oh, eggs, but they're not cooked. The big girl turned her head. A number of the children had scampered to the fence and were staring at the intruder with sudden gravity, almost displeasure in their round faces. She has eggs in her basket, but they're not cooked, explained the girl. I said she might climb over, 
she can play mother the big girl spoke with a kindly but coercive authority i shall be one mother you will be the other mother my pretend name is mrs alfonso smith alfonso is a beautiful name don't you think so now what will your name be mrs silas pettibone submitted the woman in the blue gown she was no taller than the big girl do you think that's a good name for a mother oh it'll do pronounced the girl but silas isn't as beautiful as alfonso now i shall have six children and you can have five i think i'd better have the largest family because i'm more experienced i spank my children when they're naughty do you mrs pettibone considered and then she shook her head oh, no um no i could never do that i sing to my children and hold them in my lap the girl cast a look of smiling scorn at her hmm. if that's the kind of mother you're going to be i'll give you the littlest ones i'll take the big ones my mother says all children need spanking once in a while we spank our dolls and our kitten regularly don't we myra mm, assented a small girl in a pink frock but i guess i'd rather be her little girl i like to sit in laps and be sing too oh all right now i'll divide the children your name is myra Pe oh what do you say your name was going to be pettibone supplied the minister's wife your name is myra pettibone and your name is hattie smith and yours is jenny pettibone and yours oh, come here georgie do you want to be her little boy you don't well then yours is georgie smith i guess you'll have to have all the girls mrs pettibone <laughs> don't care mrs pettibone shook her head i don't care she said surveying her rapidly growing family with entire satisfaction the two little girls had huddled close against her skirts and were staring truculently at the smith family ma whined the newly christened myra who was evidently acquainted with the rules of the game georgie smith is putting his tongue out to me the big girl gazed sternly at the accused georgie smith she exclaimed do that again and see what you'll get i'll tell your pa sir when he comes home tonight and that's what i'll do now marie you're mrs pettibone's next to the youngest she's a nice child mrs pettibone and i'm going to give you baby i'd like to have baby myself she's so cunning she doesn't go to school all the time but her mother was canning raspberries today so i brought her her real name is louise gwendolen everybody calls her baby <laughs> mrs pettibone held out her arms with a smile and mrs alfonso smith gently propelled a chubby child of three into them now let me see you've got myra and jenny and marie and baby uh, you want another mrs pettibone thought four would do she was gazing rapturously at louise gwendolen who had tucked her thumb into her rosy mouth with an air of drowsy content well if it ain't you can have another just as well as not promised mrs alfonso smith generously that makes me seven she gazed with severe benevolence at the newly christened smiths who were cavorting joyously amid the clover i shall cut me a good strong switch first thing i do murmured mrs smith darkly 
Seven's a big family for a little woman like me, Mrs. Pettibone. More especial when their power's gone to Boston for all day. Now, you must tell what your husband's doing. My husband, well, I think he's writing a sermon, submitted Mrs. Pettibone, realistically cuddling her youngest. A sermon? Is he a preacher, man? Mrs. Pettibone nodded, and Mrs. Alfonso Smith looked doubtful. That's really and truly, ain't it? We're hard-shell Baptists. That's the best kind, my father says. She tossed her head carelessly. I don't know as I care. You can be a pretend Presbyterian if you want to. No, your house is under that tree, and your yard comes to here. She marked off an imaginary line with her toe. My house is under this big tree, and my yard is all that place over there. I ain't going to take my children home and put em straight to bed, and you'd better too. And then tomorrow morning, we don't have night last long, because they won't lie still, we'll give em breakfast. You can have three lunch baskets. I'll send one of my children over with them. You can pretend he's a grocery man if you want to. You pick the money off the bushes, nice green leaves, and roll em up. So, looks exactly like money. We can have all we want. It takes a lot of money, Mrs. Pettibone, to bring up seven hearty children. Mrs. Alfonso Smith achieved a grown-up sigh. I tell my husband every day of my life I don't see how I can make out. The children do wear their shoes out so. Now, you go in your house, and tomorrow, first thing, I'll come and call and bring my two youngest children. And then in the afternoon, Georgie Smith, come here this minute. I'll see I'll have to spank you good before your pa comes home. Then what do you think he'll say? Georgie Smith hung his head before the terrific possibilities he had doubtless realised in the not distant past. Experience taught him to say, I wasn't doing nothing, Ma. Marjorie, she pinched me. Marjorie Smith, did you pinch your little brother? You can come in the house and go straight to bed. You'll get no cake nor pie for your supper, missus. Amid realistic howls of grief, she turned to the less experienced matron. Hmm. You'd better take your children right home, Mrs. Pettibone. Perhaps you didn't know it, but there's whooping cough round this neighbourhood. I thought I ought to tell you. My children have all had it, but yours haven't. Mrs. Pettibone hastily withdrew with her flock to the spot kindly pointed out by Mrs. Alfonso Smith. Up in a tree, robin, I see, pecking them one by one, she crooned. Baby was really and truly sleepy. She crept into her pretend mother's lap and pillowed her curly head comfortably upon her breast. Her little body was soft and warm. One could hear her sucking her thumb. Gentle thrills of rapture crept over the pretend mother. Cherries are ripe, cherries are ripe, oh, give the baby one, she sang, and Myra and Jenny and Marie, resting their heads upon her skirt, shut their eyes, squeezing them tight against the bright sun rays that darted through the clustered oak leaves. It's night, whispered Myra, and we're in our cribs, covered up snug and warm. I said my prayers. Did you, Marie? But you have to say your prayers to your mother, retorted Marie indignantly. 
not when you're pretending you can pretend you said to your mother let's hurry and go to sleep so it'll be morning quicker we haven't had any supper i want my supper before i go to sleep mother i'm hungry i want my supper hush my babe lie still and slumber sang the pretend mother tenderly holy angels guard thy bed you lie still marie pettibone counselled myra energetically don't you see she's playing we've had our supper anyway the grocery man didn't come yet maybe george has got into the baskets he'd really and truly eat up all the cake if he did at this awful suggestion the three little girls sat up straight winking the sun from their eyes it's morning mother it's morning don't you see how bright the sun shines and we're hungry can we have our breakfast oh you'll have to go to the grocery children mrs pettibone smiled over the top of baby's curly head here's the money buy anything you want Hmm. just see all the money our mother's got i'm the oldest i shall carry the money and buy the things you're not the oldest i shall buy the breakfast i was seven last may and i was seven just last week i am so the oldest so there the sound of a slap vigorously dealt followed by really and truly crying brought mrs alfonso smith to the scene she separated the combatants with a practised hand that's what you get from being too good to your children she explained to the perturbed mrs pettibone you want to take em right in the beginning and give em something to cry for what are you quarrelling about children if your own mother can't manage you the neighbours will have to come in and help you're both seven of course you are you're twins didn't you know that oh, i forgot to tell you but you are you can both carry the money and you can both bring home the groceries if i hear you cry again jenny and myra unless it's pretend crying you'll find your name changed to smith all of a sudden i got a good switch to my house and seven or nine makes no difference to me i'll take em any time you say mrs pettibone and trade you hattie for them she's a good girl and mine's her mother the hastily matched twins amicably holding hands trotted away under convoy of mrs alfonso smith the third child with a shrewd glance at the absorbed face of the pretend mother followed she don't care as long as she's got baby she told the biggest girl she's a hugging and kissing baby soft like she was a really truly mother oh well assented the resourceful mrs alfonso smith you can be my next to the youngest little girl if you'd rather and i'll take the twins too she can pretend she's got an only child i just as soon have ten the pretend mother under the oak tree was revelling in her dream the delicious feel of the round soft limbs the silken mass of curls against her cheek the warm breath coming and going between parted lips which resembled the half-closed bud of a pink rose filled her with rapture my little baby she whispered mother's own precious little baby the starved breast under the baby's warm cheek throbbed with the passionate beating of the heart beneath there was no other woman near to regard her with half contemptuous eyes of wonder and pity they were alone these two in the wide sweet-smelling world with bees in the red clover 
and the voices of meadow-larks calling and answering under the drifting clouds. How long she sat thus, folded in the warm happiness of that dream of motherhood, Philura Pettibone never knew. She was roused at last by a man's voice. "'I beg your pardon, ma'am. I asked the children playing in the road, and they couldn't tell me.' She looked up. Her eyes, from which the vision had not yet fled, as blue as cornflowers under the brim of her shady hat. "'Oh, I'm afraid I've waked your baby,' he apologised with a smile. He seemed of a commanding height, viewed from her lowly seat under the tree. And now that the smile had faded from his young face, she saw that it was pale and anxious. "'Can you tell me where a, a family called Hill—I believe they're strangers in the neighbourhood—are living?' The child slipped from her arms, and, looking around the empty field with wide, startled eyes, began to cry piteously. "'Oh, I am sorry,' he repeated. "'I seem to have frightened your baby. Oh, but you can tell her I will go at once.' His face was oddly familiar, now that she looked at it more narrowly. Where had she seen those strongly marked brows and the stern curve of the young lips? He went away when at length she had satisfied him with minute directions of a turn to the right, two to the left, a bridge to be crossed, and stone gate-posts opposite a red barn. Her puzzled eyes followed him as he strode to the fence. He was in haste, whatever his name or his business. She walked home under the noonday sun, with a guilty sense of furniture undusted, a pudding which was to be and was not, and of a basket filled with mending, which ought on this particular day of the week to be empty. At the door she was met by her husband, his hair rumpled picturesquely upon his forehead, in a way which signified that work in the study had gone smoothly that morning. "'How very nice you look, dear,' he said, tilting her face all luminous with afterglow up to his, and he stooped to kiss her, though such was not his sober habit. "'Oh, Silas,' she murmured, blushing, I should have been home long ago, but I came upon some children in a meadow. Some children in a meadow, he repeated, when she showed no inclination to explain further. That sounds pleasant, and you... I climbed over the fence and played with them, she confessed, her eyes downcast before the quizzical smile in his. That afternoon... As with furtive dustcloth she was hurriedly attempting to make good the omissions of the morning, she beheld the majestic figure of Mrs. Buckthorn moving up the walk. "'I just stopped in on my way to see poor Mrs. Pratt,' began that lady, with a searching glance about the room. "'Oh, what? Oh, you haven't heard. She's had another of her spells. Uh, yes, I know, she was about as usual yesterday.' But in the afternoon, oh my, yes, I thought, of course, you'd heard, and Mr. Pettibone. They didn't send for him. Oh, I suppose they was too busy doing for her. But they'll expect him to call. It's a pastor's duty and a privilege, and he'd ought to know without being sent for where he's wanted. Mrs. Buckthorn drew a sibilant breath from the interior of her being accompanied by a solemn creaking of her stays. "'I don't know, as you realise, Filiora, that if you ain't careful and prayerful, 
you might actually hinder the work that's being carried on in our midst instead of helping it as you'd ought to do did you ever think of that mrs pettibone stole a guilty look at the spot where she'd concealed the dust-cloth behind a sofa pillow mrs buckthorn found her murmured reply far from satisfying i see you ain't she observed in hollow tones i was afraid of it i says to the deacon this morning it's borne in on me i says that however painful i ought to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with philura pettibone no i says don't try to hold me back philura was a scholar in my sunday school class for many many years i says and little i thought in them days when his first wife was living that i should ever see her in the parsonage mrs pettibone's eyes uplifted from a depressed contemplation of the dusty round of a chair fell upon the picture of the huguenot lovers on the opposite wall a wandering sun-ray piercing the leafy mazes of a lilac bush just outside the window flickered tremulously over the two young faces forever wrapped in the sweet pain of that tragic parting oh she murmured indistinctly her thoughts bearing her far from mrs buckthorn's massive presence and the droning sound of her intolerant voice had the stranger of the morning's encounter found the eggleston farm she wondered and could it be faithful are the wounds of a friend her visitor was reminding her acidly i suppose likely you'd rather not think much about her more especially since you can't hold a candle to her in looks that's perfectly natural i'm sure we can't all be handsome philura but we can all strive to do our duty. End of chapter 23